You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, episode number 72. Hey guys, happy Monday. So this week, I am going to do a Q&A all about inductions. We get a fair amount of questions on our Instagram page and DMs and just in-story questions um, of you guys asking a lot about inductions. So I figured I would come on here and talk a little bit about inductions. So at the hospital that I work at, we do a fair amount of inductions. I'm pretty darn familiar with them. (laughs) I'd say probably every other time, maybe every, I think I just heard my child. It's 9 p.m. Hold on. Walter, what are you doing? Oh, man, I just caught him red-handed. He came downstairs, moved the bench over to the pantry, climbed up on the bench, got a pack of mini muffins, and he was, like, walking over to throw the wrapper away, and I, like, caught him as he was walking with the wrapper in his hand. (laughs) Oh, okay. So back to inductions. So yeah, I would say every other time that I work or maybe every three times that I work, I have somebody taking care of somebody who's being induced. So yeah, here in the United States, they're pretty darn common. Um, So yeah, let's talk about them. I would say one of the most common things that happens Uh, towards the end of your pregnancy is you're not really planning on an induction and then all of a sudden something comes up and you realize that you have to be induced for medical reason or you choose to get induced or you know it's deemed that an an induction is happening and then it's like oh crap Uh, what's going on I got to research like all of this and figure out what's gonna be happening and have so much so many questions which is totally fine But yeah, I would say the majority of people who are getting induced aren't planning on it like early, early in their pregnancy. It's kind of just something that comes up um, and naturally, you know, people have a lot of questions about it. So we're going to, I'm just going to answer some of the most common questions that you guys usually DM me um, about inductions. We're just, we're just going to dive right into it. So let's get started. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where we firmly believe in the power of education when it comes to giving birth. Tune in each week as we dive into pregnancy-related topics, expert interviews, and a variety of birth stories. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now, here's your host, educator, registered nurse, and fellow mom, Liesl Teen. This episode of the Mommy Labor Nurse podcast was brought to you by Mommy Labor Nurse. So guys, we're talking about inductions today. And guess what? You might already know because I've kind of hinted at it already in some of my Instagram posts and on Instagram. But we have a new course coming out in a few weeks. And guess what it's all about? Inductions. You don't know how many questions I get asked about induction every single day, whether it's at the hospital, via email, or over my Instagram DMs. There are so many questions. How do I get this baby out of me? Can I naturally induce labor at home? Can pineapple actually start contractions? 
How can I get ready for my planned induction? Is my medical induction going to be scary? We're going to go over some of those questions today in the podcast episode. But yeah, it's a lot. And I totally get it. By the end of your pregnancy, we are all so done and we'll try just about anything to get things going. And if you've already got a planned induction, I know that can feel scary and full of unknowns too. So when I realized there wasn't a complete and well-researched labor induction course out there, I knew that had to change. So in this brand new video course that's coming out in a few weeks, you will learn all about the benefits of spontaneous labor. You'll get a deep dive into natural induction methods, and you'll find out exactly what to expect from your medical induction if that winds up being what's best for you. This course covers so much and is perfect for a variety of women, including moms in their second or third trimesters that want to implement strategies throughout their pregnancy that will lead to a spontaneous labor, moms that are nearing or have passed their due date and really want to dive deep into how to get things going naturally, and maybe even still want to avoid a medical induction, and even moms who already have an induction scheduled and want to get mentally and physically prepared for that big day. So like I said, this mini video course is coming out in a few weeks. I will keep you guys updated. We are doing some last minute filming for it this week, um, which I'm really, really excited about. But yeah, we have opened the wait list for it. So if you want to get on the wait list so you don't miss when it does come out, you can head over to mommylabornurse.com slash get my baby out. <laughs> That's all one word, get my baby out. And you can get on that wait list. And now let's get into this week's episode all about inductions. Oh, hi, Liesl. Welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse podcast. Thanks so much for being here today. Oh, thanks, Liesl. It's about 9.30 on a Tuesday. And yeah, I'm just sitting here uh, in my room in my on my tiny little desk and about to record a podcast episode. Oh, that's really great. So what are we going to talk about today, Liesl? Oh, today we're going to be talking about inductions. And I'm just going to answer a bunch of induction questions for all of the listeners. Oh, that's really great. Why don't you go ahead and get started? All right. Well, thanks, Liesl. Let's kick it off with the first question. Uh, what is the most common reason that someone gets induced? So that is a great question. There are many reasons why we get induced. Um, one of the most common reasons is that you are overdue. And most practices consider this to be past 41 weeks. But many practices nowadays wait even longer up to 41 in six days before inducing for something called post-dates. Basically, you went over your due date. So one of the reason, really the main reason why we induce people um, when they go past their due date is sometimes placentas like to act up at the end of pregnancy and not work so good and not provide great blood flow uh, to baby anymore. They get kind of old. And there comes a certain point when it's more beneficial to induce your labor than to keep waiting for baby to make his or her own appearance on on their own. <laughs> so that's really the main reason. Um, like I said, my practice where I'm at, we usually do it right at 41 weeks. Honestly, most people are already at 41 weeks. You're like, okay, that like, let's get the show on the road. Come on now, guys. <laughs> 
But I know uh, a lot of times with this, if you are the kind of person that you're like, I just, I really don't want to get induced. I really want to try and, you know, go into labor naturally. I was that way. You know, I tried, wanted to try and avoid induction if I could, but, you know, I was, especially with Ryland's pregnancy, um, I, at the end there was like, okay, I'll schedule my induction. Hopefully, you know, if I, if I get to 41 weeks, that's fine. But if I don't, then I'll get induced. I wasn't like, no, I will not absolutely 100% get induced. But some people are that way. And some people have that choice. So a common thing that one of the practices that I work with does is that if you are, you know, really just not so cool with getting induced right at 41 weeks, you say, okay, you know, let's just kind of wait and see. Maybe we can do some extra monitoring and making and make sure that baby is looking okay on the monitor. And if baby's not looking so great, you know, then we would recommend that you get an induced. But, you know, let's give it a few more days to see if your body will kick in naturally. And I would say half the time, they do. <laughs> your body does kick in naturally between, you know, weeks 41 and 42. Or the other half of the time, you know, you do get that extra monitoring and baby's blood flow is just not looking as great as it was the day before and you wind up getting an induction. So yeah, to answer that question, being overdue post-dates is the most common reason that most people get induced, but there are a variety of other reasons. So another really common reason is if you have preeclampsia towards the end of your pregnancy, even people who have it, you know, prior to 37 weeks, um, if it's severe, we will induce for that if baby is head down. But a lot of times we get preeclampsia at the end. Uh, our body's, again, just not liking being super pregnant and starts to get real preeclamptic. And yeah, you start with all the all the typical symptoms, the swelling, the headaches, the high blood pressure, the protein in your urine. And it's just kind of a better idea to have baby on the outside than the inside. So yeah, preeclampsia is another common one. Another one is gestational diabetes. Another one is something called IUGR, which is intrauterine growth restriction. And that's just, uh, it's not that your baby is just born small. It's more that your baby is like growth restricted during pregnancy. So if you go a little bit too long, you can increase your risk of stillbirth. So that's why we like to induce people for that. If you have a history of stillbirth, um, that is a medical reason to have an induction. And then some people break their water really early in pregnancy, at, you know, on a preterm basis, 20 some weeks or 30 some weeks, and they're hospitalized for it for a few weeks. And then if they get to about 34, 35 weeks, that's usually that sweet spot of when it is a good idea to get baby out if your water's been broken that long. So that is another medical reason to get induced if your water breaks early in your pregnancy and you're hospitalized for it. There are a few other reasons, um, but those are, I would say those are probably the most common ones. But yeah, post-dates is definitely the most common. All right, next question is, what are some of the things that we use to induce labor? So the most common one is Pitocin. A lot of people are are pretty familiar with Pitocin. It's that IV medication that goes through your IV and Pitocin works because it's real it's like the synthetic form of 
the same hormone that your body naturally produces during labor, which is oxytocin. And it's man-made, you know, it's in an IV bag and we hook it up to your IV and we titrate it really carefully. So Pitocin is one of the things that we use. Um, another few common things that we use are something called a Foley bulb. And a Foley bulb is just like kind of a little flexible catheter with a little bulb on the end that can sit inside your cervix. And it helps to manually kind of dilate your cervix and prep your cervix for your induction. So that Foley bulb a lot of times is good for people who have not had a baby before and they come in to be induced and their cervix is not really open or it's not really um, thick or, I mean, it is thick. Uh, it's not really uh, thin or a face at all. It's, you know, still pretty thick and high and they need something almost to prep their cervix uh, for the Pitocin later on. So a lot of times we give people what's called Foley bulbs, like I said, and that helps to manually kind of soften it up and get it prepped. Another common one that we use is something called Cervidil. And Cervidil is just a prostaglandin that's inserted vaginally. So it's a medication and it works similarly to a Foley bulb in that it helps to kind of prep your cervix. It doesn't work as much like uh, like Pitocin where it gets you really contracting. It just kind of kind of really preps that cervix. So Cervidil is one of them. Cytotec is another medication similar to Cervidil that preps your cervix. And then the last one uh, that's, it's not as common, but it's one called laminaria. And that is similar to those other medications uh, that helps to kind of prep the cervix. So while we're talking about things that are used to induce labor, uh, let's go into the next question. The next question is how is Pitocin given? Okay. So I talked a little bit about it. I started talking about it. But let's go into a little bit more detail. So Pitocin is given through your IV typically. Well, all the time if you're getting induced, there is a, I said typically, because technically you can get it, you can get a shot of it after you give birth to, but they don't give you a shot of it um, in labor. <laughs> but anyways, so Pitocin is given through your IV if you're being induced and we try titrate it uh, very well on an IV pump. So basically what happens if you're a first time mom and your cervix is not dilated at all, but really Typically what they'll do is they will prep your cervix with one of those methods. They'll put a Foley bulb in or uh, give you medication to prep your cervix for usually hours. Usually like it's like an overnight kind of process or all day or something like that. And then once your cervix has been prepped a bit and it's a little bit open and a little bit softer and a little bit more thin, then we will get the Pitocin started through your IV. If you come into the hospital and your cervix is already prepped, it, you know, your body has already prepped it itself, and maybe you're sitting at two centimeters or three centimeters, and, you know, your cervix is pretty thin, then a lot of times we don't need anything to really help help to extra prep it, like a Foley bulb or Cervidil or Cytotec or anything like that. We can just kind of start Pitocin when you get there. And usually, if you're a second time mom, that's usually what happens is you come in, you don't really need any prepping agents, you just we just kind of start Pitocin. But every once in a while, we'll have first time moms come in and, you know, their bodies have already kind of prepped 
their cervixes and, you know, they don't need anything else. We can just start Pitocin. But I would say most commonly what happens is if you're a first time mom, you get those prepping agents for a long time and then you get Pitocin through your IV later on. If you're a second or third or fourth or fifth, you know, fifth time mom, you'll come in and usually your body has already prepped your cervix and we'll just kind of start Pitocin from there. So like I said, Pitocin is given through your IV. And that's another common question I get from people is, you know, do I need an IV? Do I really need an IV if I get induced? And unfortunately, you know, if we prep, if if your provider's planning on giving you Pitocin, which is the thing that works the best, <laughs> um, you do need an IV. So yeah, we hook you up to the IV drip and the IV pump and get the show on the road. <laughs> So every hospital is going to be a little bit different in the policy that they use for Pitocin. So your numbers might be a little bit different than mine. But typically what we do is we get the Pitocin started at two milliliters an hour, which is less than half of a teaspoon. It's a very, very small amount. And then we usually titrate it up by twos. Okay, two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 14, 16, you know, all the way up. Um, And some hospitals say, whoa, stop at 20. Don't go any higher than 20. Some hospitals say, whoa, stop it. Don't go any higher than 40. My hospital says, whoa, stop it. Don't go any higher than 40. Okay. (laughs) Most, I would say most moms don't need a full 40 units of Pitocin an hour to get them in labor, but some do. So yeah, what we do is we start off at two and then we bump it up every 15 minutes by twos. Okay. So I start you off two milliliters an hour. Let's say it's eight o'clock in the morning. Eight o'clock, it's two. Eight fifteen, it's four. Eight thirty, it's six. And I just keep going up until you start to go into labor. <laughs> For some moms, it is going to be a real quick process. Like within that hour, you're you know starting to really cramp and have contractions. Some moms, it takes you know a couple hours to really start to feel some things. So yeah, it kind of starts off like that. And obviously, if we're starting the pitocin, I'm also monitoring your baby. And seeing how baby is doing and seeing how your contractions are doing. And if baby is ever looking not so hot or your contractions are like super crazy close together, that's when I say, oh, okay, let me not go up so fast on the Pitocin or let me turn the Pitocin off or let me pause it. So yeah, that brings us to our next question. Do I have to be on continuous monitoring when I'm induced? Yes. So when people find this out, sometimes they're bummed if you had your heart set on intermittent monitoring or another type of monitoring. (laughs) Um, But some people get kind of bummed when they hear, oh, I have to stay on this monitor the whole time that I'm induced. Ugh, yuck. But unfortunately, it is really the only way that we can safely induce your labor and I can safely see how baby's doing and how your contractions are doing and be able to really go up on that Pitocin effectively. But no worries. A lot of hospitals these days do have continuous monitoring, but they have monitors that can be like unhooked from the big monitor. And it's more of like a uh, telemetry, like a wearable kind of monitor that you can walk around with. So even though you do have stuff strapped to you, you're not completely limited, like completely stuck in the bed. And that brings us to our next question. Can I get up and move around? A lot of people ask this too. Oh, and now my other child is awake. What is going on tonight? Why why do my children keep waking up? (laughs) Yeah, I think we're good. Okay. All right. So back to the question of, can I get up and move around? So yes, 
unless you are being induced for a medical reason uh, that is contradictory to why you can get out of bed. Did I even say that right? Basically, if you have like really unstable high blood pressure or there's like really a another reason why you can't get out of bed medically, then typically uh, most places, <laughs> most hospitals, most nurses will let you get out of bed if you really want to get out of bed. If you want to get up and sit on the ball next to your bed, or you have the ability to have that wireless monitoring and you want to, you know, walk the halls, that's usually totally fine. As long as we can monitor baby, you can get up and move around as you please. All right. So the next question is, do I have to get an epidural if I'm induced? We get this question too. So the answer is no, you certainly don't have to get an epidural. If you get induced, there are plenty of moms who get induced and they don't get epidurals and they do just fine. You certainly can get an epidural if you would like to get induced. And we will get right back into this episode after a quick break from this week's sponsor. Wondering what you need to do to stay on track during each week of pregnancy? Not sure what you need to be learning or researching along the way? I can help. Sign up for our free weekly pregnancy series to get tips, advice, and resources tailored to your exact week of pregnancy sent straight to your inbox every week. Sign up at mommylabornurse.com slash I am pregnant to get your first email today. See you in your inbox real soon. And now let's get right back into this week's episode. Sometimes that is one of the advantages, honestly, to getting induced is it's a little bit more controlled. So if you are married to your epidural, (laughs) and I think you know what I mean when I say that, one of the advantages to having induction is you usually can bet on getting an epidural because we usually can time it right. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes there are cases where, you know, we start with Pitocin and just it just truly goes so fast. And, you know, you don't have time to get an epidural. But I would say nine times out of 10, if you come in and you're like, Liesl, I really want an epidural and I'm getting induced, I will say, okay, okay, great. We can get you epidural, no problem. (laughs) But you certainly don't have to get an epidural if you don't want to get an epidural. Um, I know plenty of moms, I've seen plenty of moms give birth, a lot of moms in our Facebook group who share their birth stories, they get induced and uh, they share, you know, natural induction stories. It happens all the time and it is certainly, certainly doable. All right. So the last question is, will my postpartum experience be any different since I got induced? So really the answer is some things, but really no, it's going to be pretty similar to somebody who just had a spontaneous, spontaneous uh, labor. So one of the most common things that we see after moms get induced is they have quite a bit of swelling. And we see that with moms who also go into spontaneous labor and they may have epidurals because a lot of times we give a lot of, well, all the time, we give fluid, we give like extra fluid when you get an epidural. We also see increased swelling after moms have C-sections because we give, again, we give you extra fluid through your IV. And when you get induced, it's no different. You just get extra fluid through your IV. If you get an epidural on top of getting induced, that's like extra, extra fluid. And that all that fluid sitting around can, you know, definitely cause some swelling. So what I usually advise moms is that, you know, don't be surprised if your feet 
are more swollen in the few days after you give birth uh, than they were when you were pregnant. Eventually, you do diaries, and your kidneys really start flushing all that uh, fluid off, and you pee a whole lot (laughs) the first week after you have a baby and get all that fluid to go away. But it can be quite alarming, to say the least, when you see all of this all of this swelling after you're like, wait a second, I thought I had swelling when I was pregnant and now I'm not pregnant. Why do I still have all this crazy swelling in my feet? So yeah, I would say that's the most common thing that we see that I tell people to watch out for in their postpartum experience. Really, a lot of the other stuff is the same. You know, you're still going to be bleeding pretty much the same as somebody else who had a vaginal delivery. You're still going to have to do pericare and take care of, you know, if you have a tear, take care of your tear. It's not, you know, it's really, really, really similar other than you might have quite a bit of swelling. All right. So that is it for this little episode. Just a little, you know, we're coming out with a mini course. So I figured I'd do like a mini episode, right? (laughs) So yeah, I told you guys in the beginning of this episode that we are coming out with our mini induction course. It's launching in a couple weeks. And this episode was a nice little little prep for that course that's coming out. So if you're interested, there's a whole lot more in that course um, than I shared in this episode about inductions and about natural induction and just, just a lot. So be sure to check it out. Like I said in the beginning, if you want to get on the wait list for that course, that little mini video course that we're coming out with, you can head over to mommylabornurse.com slash get my baby out. <laughs> That's all one word. And that will get you on the wait list. We'll send you an email when it comes out. All right, guys, I'll see you on the next one. All right, so that is it for this episode of the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. You probably follow me on Instagram because that's probably where you came from. But if you don't, head over to Instagram and follow me at mommy.labornurse for more. That is certainly where I am most active. I also now have a separate Instagram for just this podcast. So I encourage you to follow my second account at mommylabornurse.podcast as well if you want podcast updates. Again, that is at mommylabornurse.podcast. As always, you guys know that I also have a website where I have tons of articles all about pregnancy, birth, breastfeeding, newborn stuff, and more at www.mommylabornurse.com. I want to hear more from you on how much you love this episode of the podcast or how you think I can improve. So leave me a comment on one of my pictures, send me a DM, or send me an email with all the love. All right, guys, I will see you same time, same place next week. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, 
marketing, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.